Welcome to the Dadability Podcast, proudly brought to you by WeFlex, fitness for everybody. This podcast is dedicated to the support and empowerment of all disability dads to learn from each other by sharing our successes, struggles, and everything in between. One of the hardest things in raising a child with disability is to learn how to take care of yourself. On today's episode, I share my thoughts on the importance of communication and how to balance getting your needs met as a parent. One of the hardest things that there is, I think, for any uh, parent, dad or mum of a child with a disability is um, your ability to put yourself first or to prioritise your own needs above those of your your child who has higher needs, more unique needs, um, additional needs. There's there's lots to, to kind of focus on that puts you at the bottom of the list. And it's very natural. Um, to do that as a parent, I think. And I know there's, um, there's a lot of mums listening to this podcast as well. So thanks for listening and thanks for helping out your hubbies and partners navigate uh, being a dad to a child of a disability. But I, I just think it's natural that we put ourselves last and it's it's very honourable and in many respects, it's very essential. But one of the things that it can do over time is it can I found it it for myself it really it really started to compromise how I felt about myself and I started to develop some quite severe feelings of uh, resentment for the situation Um, they say that there's an element of um, grief I suppose that goes when you realize that your child has a disability, obviously their path will be quite different than what you may be thought of. For many parents, there's a period of grief where you are coming to terms with the differences in the life that you think it will be and, and what that means. And it could be very different and quite confronting, quite confronting for a lot of people. And for some, that can come with a lot of grief and it can be quite hard to get over. Uh, For me, I didn't notice any grief um, after Leo was diagnosed. It wasn't so much grief. I was quite accepting of um, the life is going to be different. And and that wasn't really the theme. But I think for me, what what was creeping up inside that I was completely unaware of and uh, wanted to share with everyone, it was this, this feeling of resentment. And it was, it's quite unhealthy. And, and at its at its worst point, I think the resentment was towards. Well, I don't. There's there's nothing like everything I want to do, everything that's for me, is is not important. Is not a priority. Um, my whole life revolves around Leo. Leo's schedule. Um, every decision I we make is around minimizing the risk of of meltdowns and and I don't do anything for myself and, you know, I don't even have time to go to the gym or I don't have time to see my mates or I don't have time to go to the movies with my wife. We've got no one to look after. So you start to build up this resentment story and resenting the cards you've been dealt and, and a little bit, probably, to be honest, a little bit playing the victim that this is happening to me. And, uh, you know, 
operating with some weird sense of entitlement, like it's um, I I don't deserve to be um, grounded to all the things I need to do and all the time I need to put in to care for Leo because I'm you know for some reason you know that's not what I should be doing you know and so it's weird kind of thoughts that actually manifested in uh, resentment and I hated it absolutely hated it when I worked out that that's that was kind of the best way to articulate how I was feeling. I, 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 I really hated it. And it was, as I said, not so much grief for me, but certainly came across in that way. And it's super unhealthy thinking pattern. It's very damaging. And, you know, I think it's only natural, as I said, to put, to put each other, um, to put yourself last and, and to put everyone else's needs first. But um, what I, have learned is a very essential lesson from I said getting some getting some treatment and getting some therapy and letting the experts kind of you know open my mind to ways I can stop thinking this way regard and stop harboring these feelings and and a lot of it comes down to the interpersonal relationships that we have um, at the heart of it, I want to do whatever I can to support my wife because I know how hard it is for her. She wants to do whatever she can to support me because she knows how hard it is for me. And we're all trying to put each other first, but ourselves still last. And, and um, you have to learn, and I'm still working on this. It's not really something I've mastered yet, but I know I need to do it. And I need to be better at it. But you have to ask for what you need and it might sound really simple and trivial but it's actually not by asking for what you need you are doing a couple of things you're respecting yourself you're not compromising what not what you know you need to be at your best and to feel good about yourself and to have good mental health and to have the recovery or the downtime or the support or the help or all the things that we, we try and give each other, but we just assume and we don't say, or maybe we don't ask as clearly or we don't spell it out. And sometimes it needs to be spelt out because people can't read your mind and people don't, don't know. And, you know, I used to do it a lot. I'd, I'd harbor these feelings of it's, well, I've been, looking after Leo now for three hours, it's really should be your turn um, so that I can insert whatever I was thinking at the time. That might be a thought that I've had and I've, I've had those in the past. And it's the, the, the part where it breaks down is that I'm thinking about it, but at no point did I say, um, you know, to my wife or, I would like to be able to do this now. Could you please um, come and look after Leo so I can take a break and I can go here? Um, you just got to ask for what you need. But it takes guts, time, and it takes practice. And it's not always easy. But um, if you're both doing it, then I think it's easier. Um Another way you see it play out, or it's certainly I've seen it play out, is that um, 
a classic example where you're walking around the house stressed, anxious, in a huff. There's a million things on your mind. You're trying to do a million things and you just got to do them all. And that's how you think. Oh, what, what's going on? Oh, don't worry. Don't worry. What's happening? Why? Oh, I don't want to talk about like. And at no point are you saying, what I really need is this. I'd love your help to do this. I want to do this first and then I'll do that. Could you please do this for one second so I can do that? It could be very simple or very complex, but you'd be surprised when you think about it and you think about what your family dynamic looks like and, and the chaos that you know is probably in most houses of the morning and of an evening with lots going on, especially if you've got more than one kid. It's 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 there's a lot of assumptions being made. There's a lot of inferences where maybe people aren't asking for what they need and we're just hoping that the other person figures it out. We're just secretly hoping that, you know what, he's been looking after Leo for a while. Um, I'm going to come and help out. Or I can hear he's really upset. Leo's really upset. He's really having a hard time. And I'm just hoping that there's going to be help coming. But did I ask? Was I, you know, did I, was I not coping myself when I pushed through a situation that really I wasn't in a good frame of mind to, to, to be doing? Um, you know, something that we've had to learn the hard way where if I'm not coping and there's two of us around, I, I, I have to walk away. I need you to take over. I've, I've got to, you know, or, um, you know, my wife will actually tell me to, to leave so she can take over. But it's, it's that if no one talks and there's no conversation about it, then nothing changes. And what happens is this feeling of <clears throat> should have and resentment and victim and all these things, um, which is not helpful long-term. In fact, it's very, very, you know, concerning um, long-term to think that way. Because ultimately what it does is it changes how you feel about your situation. It changes how you feel about your son or your daughter and the cards you've been dealt. And you, you start to look at it all through the lens of a half-empty glass, not a half-full one. You see the problems more than you see the, um, the, the successes. And it can really start to damage um, how you view um, your family dynamic and your own, you know, your own identity, your own self-worth. And, and so you've got to ask for what you need. And it's, it's easier said, it's easier said than done. I'm certainly not great at it. I go through phases. I know I need to do it more. Um, and I'm aware of that. One, one thing that we did try that I alluded to on a, on a previous episode that my wife and I tried, and it probably worked the best. Um, so you might have something similar or you might decide to try it, but, uh, it was a, a vulnerability score. So every morning we would put up on a board, our score out of 10 as to our level of vulnerability. So how likely are we to be able to withstand and cope with meltdowns, with, you know, challenges, with, with, you know, any kind of thing thrown our way from from our son and you know one being the the lowest in 10 10 being i'm sorry the opposite 10 being um i'm maxed out and one being i'm super cool i've got plenty of room if you like 
Um, and it was something that in chatting with my psychiatrist at the time, he was talking about it more in the sense of a anxiety scale that when you're feeling your anxiety levels go up, you should communicate that to your wife and to your family so that they know and they can support you. And we kind of looked at that and took it for, um, for another use, which we found was, was quite good because what it did is it, it forced the conversation around the minute you saw a five out of 10 or a six out of 10, you instantly then, uh, I'd want to seek my wife out and say, what, what's going on? I noticed that you're a six out of 10 today, or you're a seven out of 10 today. Like, what can I do to help? And so at that point, the, what can I do to help became very, uh, uh, much easier to talk about. And you felt like there was permission to talk about it. And I walked around with a better awareness and understanding that this was how she was feeling. And so I could operate very differently um, versus and um, why, you know, uh, she might have been like not helping out as much or being short or being snappy or, or, or whatever it may be. They're the kind of things that make a difference. And it's just basic communication, right? But um, asking for what you need and putting your needs, you know, putting your hand up to say, I need this, is so empowering and so important. And, and we learned from trial and error the value of that. Because it can also go the other way. You know, if I was to put a, a two out of 10 on the board, I would then find myself saying things like, I'm really good today. I'm a two, so if you need anything, I'm good to help out or I can take it on. And then I also found myself saying, I'm an eight. I can't really deal with any of these things today. I'm stressed about X, Y, and Z. And then my wife would then say, what can I do to help? And so it's this real nice place to get shared understanding of how you're feeling um, and to put your own needs first. And it's so simple. It might be things like, I'm really stressed about this work, you know, presentation, so I need to do that and I don't really have any capacity. So, um, you know, it's really stressing me out. And so I'm, I'm more likely to not be great in a crisis today. My vulnerability is five or six out of 10. Um, it could be something as simple as that. So we found it worked really well to communicate and to create that kind of dialogue. We don't do it as much anymore, and we probably should, to be honest. Um, I will say this, that every time um, every time we, we, we uh, you know, I might clash or there might be a really stressful situation at home um, between me and my wife and as a mum and dad, um, I think to myself now, how much have we spoken about what's going on for us uh, personally? And every time um, there's a clash, I think about it and I, and the answer to the question is always we haven't communicated. And, and it's the same with most things in life, right? Typically when someone's got a lot going on for themselves, um, they're, they're not, you know, necessarily great to be around. They don't have a lot of capacity to be, they're not as warm and fuzzy. Like everyone's human. Everyone has their moments and their good days and their bad days. And all this is doing is basically working as a team to try and, um, you know, parent together in the best possible way, but it puts your own needs first. And, you know, having the guts to ask for that 
and to honor the request. Sometimes not every request can be honored. So sometimes you will ask for something and it just won't be possible. There's no way. I, you know, I'm a six out of ten. I need you to pick up the kids from school today. Could be met with a, there's no way I can do that because. But then the opportunity then becomes to then, then you're in the real conversation though. Because then you might be able to find a compromise or you might be able to problem solve for a different solution or a different way forward. But it creates the right communication and the right conversation to be able to put your own needs high. And that is one of the, one of the most essential things that I've, I've learned uh, as, a, as the dad of a child with a disability. And I think it goes the same for all the mums listening as well in that you know, we're, we're awful at this stuff, right? So we've got to help each other out. It's easier if you both do it. Then there's some kind of level of, <clears throat> it's not like one person's just asking for what they need all the time and the other person's just copying it. You don't have to cop it. You don't have to compromise who you are, the things that you like doing so much that you build up this victim mentality and it's not about you. Because certainly, in my experience, you're never going to be able to swing it so far the other way that you become so selfish that um, you're not prioritizing your your, your children um, because that, they will always find a need of, 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 of demanding your time and your priorities. It's more just getting some balance back. And I think that's the most important thing. And um, so, yeah, to all the dads and to any of the mums listening as well, I would just say, do yourselves a favor. We can become a lot stronger as a, as a parenting team. You can really look after your own mental health more and you can feel a lot more supported and empowered um, getting through the day-to-day when you ask for what you need. Thanks for listening to the Dadability Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. If you've got something to share, some feedback, or something that just resonated with you and you want to tell me, please drop me a line at dadabilitypodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, be present, be brave, and be kind.